Hey, everybody. Host Nora McInerney is back for season two of The Head Start, Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and AbV. In each episode, Nora has a real conversation with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they took action to understand this disease. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start Embracing the Journey and learn a little bit more about life with chronic migraine. Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry, and the three of us together are Stuff You Should Know. Hey, buddy. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good. I have to say, this was one of the better articles I've read in recent memory. Wow. By Mr. Jonathan Strickland, our nemesis at Tech Stuff. Yeah. He wrote a great article on sign language. Arch nemesis. Who knew? Yeah, I had no idea that he knew anything. Yeah. It's like there's uh, there's nothing about the future of sign language in here. It's just sign language. Yeah, and this is one of those where I knew really not much about it, mm-hmm. and it was just a delight to learn, you know? Yeah, and uh, he basically just did American sign language. Yeah, sure. I have the impression that if he tried to expand it, it would have really gotten unwieldy quick. So it's a good editorial decision, good writing. Well, that's one of the things I did know. I didn't even know that, that there are hundreds of sign languages. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought it was all the same. But uh, he makes a point even that you may be better able to communicate with someone speaking French sign language, because that was the basis of American sign language, right. than to speak sign language if you're American with someone speaking British sign language. Yeah, because a, a, a it's just different. sharing a, a common spoken language with another country does not mean has nothing to do with that it. they're that they share common sign language. Yes. No. Um and that's a really good point because it reveals that the deaf community has over time just basically said we're gonna do this ourselves. Yeah, and it even gets to the point where regional dialects, just like a regular spoken language mm-hmm. It basically just is a regular language. Well, like right. The more I read it, the more I was like, this is just like speaking English or speaking Southern English or Midwestern English. Sure. You know? Yeah. And, it, and, you know, depending on your community, the community you're raised in, the type of house you're raised in, um, it, it, that's what will necessitate what kind of sign language you learn or develop or yeah. whatever. Pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Um, and well, let's talk about. The history of this a little bit first. Okay. So, Chuck, you know, humans have a long and storied history of mistreating groups that are different from everybody else. It's what makes America great. Not just America. It goes back even further than that. Humanity. The the deaf community, um, up until shamefully recently... um, were kind of one of those groups that were just kind of mistreated. Yeah. Um, the Torah, for example, forbids deaf people from fully participating in some of the rituals in the temple. Um, the ancient Greeks wouldn't allow deaf people to be educated. Uh, St. Augustine, 
St. Augustine, he's a saint, for goodness sake. Yeah. He taught that deaf people were evidence that God was angry at their parents. Wow. Yeah. It wasn't until about the Renaissance that anybody finally took a stab at educating deaf people. And they found pretty quickly that, oh, they just can't hear. Right. That's the thing. Right. They can learn very quickly and uh, just like you and me. So that kind of became the springboard once people figured out that you can't educate deaf people to them being uh, included more into a normal society. Yeah. Um, but for a long time, they were mistreated. Uh, and as a result, <clears throat> I think they kind of, um, well, I'm speculating here, but I think they kind of said, we're going to handle this ourselves, like I said. Right. Like, we're going to develop our own language. Take matters into our own hands, literally. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. And um, that's where sign languages started to come from. Just necessities, the mother of invention. Sure. You need to be able to communicate with people around you. And so sign language developed in communities where there were deaf people who were accepted and not just kind of put to the side. Yeah, before it was even uh, they were getting official with it, people were using sign language. Right. Because they were like, well, I don't care if you're going to make it some official language or not. We need to talk to each other. Exactly. So we're going to figure it out. And not only do they need to talk to each other, they need to talk to the community at large as well. Sure. And there's actually this really cool story on Martha's Vineyard. There was up to a quarter of the population when they moved over here from England. Um, they were an isolated population. Mm-hmm. So um, they suffered what was called a founder's effect, where the population just kind of bottlenecked. Yeah. And these families intermarried. Ah, but they didn't marry outside of their group. Yeah, yeah. So deafness, was a, a hereditary deafness was a, um, a, a trait that was passed along the group. So up to a quarter, one in four people in this community were deaf. Really? Right. As a result of this community on Martha's Vineyard in the early 18th century, having up to a quarter of its population deaf, a specific type of sign language called Martha's Vineyard Sign Language Shut developed. Up. And not only were the deaf in the community proficient in it, everybody in the community was proficient in it. Wow. And up until 1952, when the last deaf Martha's Vineyard resident, Martha's Vineyard born resident, uh-huh. died, that's when it became extinct. So they were practicing wow. it from about 1700 to 1952. And apparently, um, Oliver Sacks went and interviewed some of these people for part of a book. Man, he's always on it. He is. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's, he reported that some of these elders, these Martha's Vineyard elders, uh-huh. um, reverted to sign language while they were talking. And so they were coming in and out of speech and sign language and wow. apparently weren't even aware that they were doing it. That's awesome. And they were not deaf. That might be the fact of the show. Martha's Vineyard Sign Language? Yeah. It could be one of them. I think there's a bunch in here. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so if we're talking about history, we have to go back to the early 1800s uh, to a dude named Thomas Hopkins Gallaudet. And um, he was a minister of, uh, to the deaf, and he went to Europe because, like we said, in France is where it sort of originated officially. And he wanted to learn some techniques on how to teach this stuff. Met a guy named uh, Roche Ambrose Cucuron Sicard, who was an abbe. Abbe Sicard. Yeah, it's a title. He's like a clergyman. Right. Um, he was the director of the School of the Deaf in Paris. And he learned some stuff from him and then uh, plucked one of his students, uh, Laurent Clerc, and said, hey, there's big money in this. <laughs> Let's go start a school in the United States. Mm-hmm. That probably wasn't his motivation. I hope not. 
Although you never know. Nothing wrong with making a little money by starting a school. Sure. Uh, so they established the American School for the Deaf in 1817 in uh, Hotford, Connecticut, mm-hmm. and um, went on, like they incorporated what they learned in France with what was already going on in the United States. Right, which is why, like you said, um, if you are an American Sign Language speaker and you go to France and yeah. you're speaking with a French Sign Language speaker, you'll probably be successful because yeah. American Sign Language is partially rooted in French Sign Language. Yeah, more so than like going to England. This well, is so weird to think about. Yeah. Um and they ended up founding as well uh, Gallaudet University in DC. Go Bisons. Is that right? Yeah, they got a football team. I played for the Beverly Bisons in elementary school. <laughs> really? I'm a bison. <laughs> it's pretty cool though. They got a football team all deaf and uh, or hard of hearing and it's cool to watch the video like, you know, the coaches Given like the motivational speech and he's signing at the same time. Uh-huh. And it's, I don't know, this thing's kind of neat. That is cool. And I thought about this too. Probably not affected by home field advantage or not. Oh, the noise? Yeah. I wonder though, like, uh, the, the trembliness of it, the, of, of that much just sound. Yeah. The sound waves, the physical waves hitting you. Well, but yeah, true. But it's not the same as, you know, NFL teams when they go to visit like Seattle, they have, they work out all these sign language uh, for each other. Oh, I see what you, you know mean. what I'm saying? I thought you meant getting psyched out by like the crowd noise. No, I mean like not being able to hear when you're sure. like, changing a play at the line of scrimmage. They right. use signs and these guys are like, dude. <laughs> yeah, they're just using an ASL or something. Um, so anyway, go Bisons. Uh, and that is a uh, school of more than 1,500 students today. Although uh, they're not all deaf, about 5% um, may consist of hearing students, which I thought was interesting. Because mm-hmm. I guess they just, you know, it's a good school. Yeah. You know? And it says here in the article that there was a controversy among the um, students and some of the faculty. And I looked it up, and apparently there was a an incoming president in like the mid two thousands who was born deaf, but had been raised to um, to speak uh-huh. rather than sign. And apparently, most of the students were not very happy about that because really? they didn't think she was planning on emphasizing sign language. Yeah. And they wanted to make sure that sign language was like the the um, the main method of communication. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, so, like we said, we're going to be talking about ASL mainly, uh, which has its own grammar and syntax and uh, phonology. Which, if you're talking about speaking, it's the study of sounds. If you're talking about signing, it is the hand movements and signals and motions. Phonology. Yeah. Yeah, it's the um, it's how. In the 60s, some researcher discovered that sign language isn't made up of a distinct sign for everything. Right. That there's a discrete set of hand gestures, yeah. movements that you can change and alter to make different words or concepts. Yeah. And that that would be phonology, right? Yeah. It's con- like, I don't think we pointed out sign language, American sign language is not literally trying to translate each word someone speaks. It's about the concept and getting the point across of what someone is saying. Right. And we'll get into that. It'll make more sense in a minute. So, But that's phonology. And phonology, yeah. as far as speech goes, would be uh, syllables. Yeah, the study this of is, sounds. This is like hand, like a, a gesture or whatever. Yes. Okay. Uh, and morphology, which if you're speaking, that is how words are formed from basic sounds. And in sign language, that's the way you're... Uh, hand and motions represent the concepts. Right. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you were saying that e- American Sign Language does not follow English necessarily. 
it, it doesn't follow English. Yeah, in fact, they try to avoid sounding like English. Yeah, like they abandon English syntax. Yeah. They, there's no use of the word am or be. Um, it's pretty simple and straightforward. And some of the stuff also, uh, are, some of the signs are conceptual. Like there, there are some that are, um, symbolic, but some are like uh, a concept or an icon, I guess is a better way to put it. Yeah. Like, um, if you are doing deer, if you're saying the word deer, signing the word deer. Yeah. Um, D E E R. Yes. The animal. You put your, you stick your fingers up and put them close to your head. Like antlers. Right. Yeah. So I was curious, like, how you would sign the word moose. Yeah. And I looked. What is it? It's the same thing, but rather than having them up against your head, uh-huh. they're out off to the side a little bit. Because okay. a moose has, like, antlers that are bigger than a deer. Well, and that illustrates a very important point with ASL. Um, it's not just the things, the, the signs you make with your hands. It's uh, body language, expressions, uh, and the space, how you use the space around you, like to take the antlers away from your head represents something. And as we'll learn later, where you hold your hands represent different things, like further away from your body or closer to your body. Um, and we'll get to all that. But um, basic nuts and bolts, they are, uh, you can call them speakers, even though they're signing. Uh, but generally, you call the person receiving the sign at the time, the receiver. The person being spoken to. Yeah. And the receiver, if you're a receiver, you don't just stare at the hands. In fact, you don't focus on the hands at all. You focus on their face and sort of keep the hands in the periphery. That's how, um, the remember, the, did you hear about the guy who was signing at Mandela's memorial yeah, I thought service? that was going to be your intro, actually. I just I guessed. went with the uh, mistreating people intro instead. No, I like that. Um, the Yeah, this guy was a fraudulent um, sign translator. Now, was he really? Did they get... Because I thought he was like, no, I'm not fraudulent. I'm just... He was a fraud. Okay. He... Uh, I. He, what's unclear is... So he was... He's a, He suffers from schizophrenia. Uh-huh. And um, he was hired on officially to do this. Um, and they think that the way he was hired was because his rate was about half of what a, a normal sign translator that would flag. have been. Yeah. So they basically just went with the cheaper option sure. and didn't do their due diligence and, and figure him out because he'd actually done this before where he doesn't know sign language. Yeah. And uh, he apparently has no malicious intent or anything like that. I don't know if he just needed money or if he yeah. thinks he knows sign language or if he wants to know sign language or he feels like he can get it across. But during Mandela's funeral, um, he was doing all the sign language and it was Total nonsense. So none of it was real at all. No, it was wow. utter gibberish. Yeah. And one of the one of the ways that the um, the deaf community, who were understandably upset at all this, I bet uh, some of them got a good laugh. Sure, but o- overall, yeah, they said if you're doing sign, you don't just sit there with like a stone face, which this guy was doing. He was all hand gestures. Oh yeah, and the hand gestures didn't mean anything. Right. But then also you express most of uh, sign language with expressions, with facial expressions, with movement. Yeah. You don't just stand there because it doesn't do anything. You're not getting your point across. Yeah. So this guy, one of the ways he was found out. Uh, or was one the fact of, that he was like stone-faced? Yeah. Wow. And if you go and look at it, he's not moving his face at all. Like he's completely yeah. solemn. He was found out pretty quick too. Yeah, because I'm sure there are people watching it. Yeah. Who are like, what this? <laughs> yeah. What's going on? This guy's talking gibberish. So weird. Yeah. Uh, if you were signing um, actions, a lot of times 
but not always. Uh, you just mimic the action. Mm-hmm. Like um, Strickland points out, if you want to sign uh, eat, you hold your finger and thumb like you're holding like a little piece of chocolate, and you go to put it in your mouth. Yeah. And that means eat. Pretty yeah. straightforward. And there, there's also uh, something I think is kind of neat and efficient about um, sign language is that the same that same sign mm-hmm. for eat yeah um, is all it doubles for other signs too depending on what you do with it yeah it can get confusing it can but it's also it's it's I, I don't know I like it makes it makes the whole thing more elegant to me that you one sign when delivered in a certain way changes the meaning and you can you really have to pay attention yeah for instance uh, if you want to sign food it is the same a lot of times you will double a sign to indicate something else to indicate a noun well it depends that's why it can get confusing so the sign for food is the same as doubling the sign for eat mm-hmm. but if you want to sign eating uh, which is a verb you would uh, also repeat the eat sign so that's where if you're receiving sign language, you understand it. It's all about your context. You're not going to be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. What do you mean you guys went out and you were food? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. I should teach you sign language. That'd be fun. Um, but I, I need to learn it first. But Apparently also the the, um, the verbs or action uh-huh. words or signs are, um, are bigger, whereas nouns right. are smaller. Right. Like the gestures are bigger or smaller depending on whether it's a noun or a verb too. That's true. That's, that's another way. So again, you can't just sit there with your hands directly in front of you moving within a very small box. Yeah, yeah. It's you you wouldn't be speaking at least as far as American sign language goes you wouldn't be speaking correctly. That's true. Uh there is an alphabet too as every 13-year-old girl knows. Right, why? I th- don't you remember that like it seems like in like the seventh grade, every girl I knew went through a phase where they learned that the sign alphabet and would like spell out things with their friends that no one else knew what they were talking <laughs> what? about. What? You never saw that? No. Oh man. I remember the big bubbly cursive writing with the in rainbow those pen. pens with the different, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I just seem to remember a lot of young girls learning the sign language alphabet and they would sit around and spell things about people and huh. them. Had not run into that, not in Toledo. Maybe it was a Georgia thing. Maybe. So anyway, there is an alphabet which actually, where you, you know, it's called finger spelling, mm-hmm. but it's only used to um, illustrate a really specific concept or to indicate like a person. Spell a name. Yeah, like if you're going to be telling a story about Josh, all you got to do is spell out Josh at the beginning, and then you don't have to keep doing it over and over. Right. Um, one way to do that too, especially if I'm not present. Is to indicate an empty space by you. Yeah. Spell out my name, point to that empty space, and then from that point on, anytime you point at that empty space, you're yeah. saying Josh. Yeah, if you're there, it's called indexing. You use your finger, you just point to Josh. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you're not there, you just make an imaginary Josh. Right. And you keep pointing to that space. To refer to Josh. It's pretty cool. Um, another reason that you would use uh, finger spelling would be to ask somebody what a sign was for something you couldn't remember. So if you're saying something you you and you couldn't think of moose, you might spell out in fingerspelling, what's the sign for moose? Yeah. And then they would say, hey, fingers up, away from the head. Yeah, I wrote, a art- or wrote I read an article from the Washington Post earlier about um, Washington, D.C. Uh, they call them Terps, interpreters. Oh, I hadn't is- heard that. Yeah. Are you sure they weren't talking about University of Maryland? No, they were talking about, you know, derps. But uh, it's a big deal in D.C. There's like 
on any given day, there's like 1,500 people in D.C. signing for clients. Sure. I can see that. Yeah, of course. It makes sense. Uh, because it's law, first of all. Federal law requires reasonable accommodation for a deaf person. Yeah. But um, this one guy that they interviewed, uh, what's his name? Painter. He said that spelling is your, your, like, your back door. Yeah. Like if ever, and it's, it's tough in DC because he was like, basically try signing a speech by Bernanke when they're <laughs> saying like very DC specific political jargon uh-huh. that may, you know, maybe not have a concept you can represent like fiscal cliff or it's not your first rodeo or, uh, kick it down the road a little bit. <laughs> and so they basically have invented political jargon for yeah. people to do that. And he said, or if you get stuck, you can always just spell it. And that appears to be a hallmark of sign language is um, there, like new signs are created all the time, just like yeah. new words are created all the time. And just like with speech, um, there are prescriptivists and there's descriptivists, like people who say, no, American sign language is sacrosanct. It is what it is. It's not to be added to. If you add to it, it dilutes the language. Go come up with your own language if you want to add fiscal cliff to it. Um, and then there's other people who are descriptivists who say, no, a language is a, a living, breathing, evolving thing. And right. like, we need to get the concept of fiscal cliff along or across. So right. here it is. It looks like moose, kinda. I would just do a little guy walking and then falling off a cliff. Sure. You know? Sure. And then making a dollar <laughs> sign. Uh, if you have seen people do sign language and you see them looking upset or puffing their cheeks out or raising their eyebrows, uh, they're indicating an inflection. Mm-hmm. This was called a non-manual marker. So, um, like if you wanted to ask someone, and that's also true with punctuation. If you wanted to, you could do the little question mark sign, but more likely you would just say the sentence and then raise your eyebrows. Right. Go well, give them an example. Um, like movies. Do you like the movies? Right. You would say you like movies. And then raise your eyebrows like, huh? You're basically like a Russian Yakov uh, Smirnov. <laughs> you like movies? That's basically what's going on there. Any Yakov Smirnov re- <laughs> uh, reference is hilarious. It doesn't matter what it is. Did you ever see the King of the Hill that he co-starred on? No way. They go to Branson and like he, uh, uh-huh. I think Bobby like ends up hanging out with him. Really? For a while. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, another way you can modify a sign, there's basically a couple of ways you can modify action. Um, is by directionalizing. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, had a nice leisurely meal, you would do the symbols for, or the signs for eating very slowly. If you want to tell someone, I had to wolf it down real quick because it was late for a meeting, you would just do the signs for eating very fast. It's pretty easy. Yes. Or if you wanted to say, I'm going to give a gift to you, you would just do the signs for, uh, give gift and then, you know, Indicate that I'm giving it to you, right, or to di- someone else. The direction of it is yeah. going from I to you, so it's implied right there. Give gift is going from I to you. I give you a gift. It really cuts through all the jibber jabber. I kind of like it. Yeah, it really know? does. And there's also um, rules with uh, syntax are just totally out the window in relation to English too. It's um, there's something called the topic of the sentence, and that's frequently a pronoun like I. Right. And it re- genuinely doesn't matter where that goes. You can go at the beginning of the sentence, the end of the sentence, or both. And I haven't figured out where I, where both comes from, why you would say 
the pronoun twice. So, for example, like um, I am an employee here. Yeah. Right. Uh, you would just say I employee or employee I right. or I employee I. And I can't figure out, hopefully somebody out there can let us know why you would want to say what the purpose is for saying it twice. But yeah. it's it's allowable structure-wise. Interesting. Yeah. So within that structure, um, I think you said it was topic, comment, structure. Generally, the comment is the predicate. Uh, so... Man, this took me like down memory lane. Yeah. I was like, what's a predicate again? Yeah. <laughs> it says something about the topic or uh, the um, object, if you were talking about English. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the tense, of course. If you want to talk about when something happened, yeah. you can do it in a variety of ways. Uh, but generally, you would announce the tense at the beginning and then you wouldn't have to keep saying it over and over that you're t- like speaking in the past tense. Right. Until you say, until you change tense. So you right. would start by saying yesterday. Uh, and then you would start talking about how you went to the store and you saw this Trans Am and you're like, Hey, that's a great Trans Am to the guy. And he said, thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, and, but then today, so then you'd sign today. I saw the, the Trans Am again and it had gotten in a fender bender. Right. And it was sad. Right. So in in the middle you have you have signed today okay, and it's changed tense. Yeah, yeah. So the tense is it's this is something you have to pay attention to. Like sign language, American sign language, relies on you to be a smart, non lazy person. Sure. Because you have to pay attention. You have to keep up with what you're saying. So you can't just you know drift off or you know just start staring into the the middle focus. You know, like right. you have to be paying attention. Um, and it's not just because you're watching the signs or anything like that. Like it can change and switch very suddenly. Yeah. Going from yesterday to today and then everything after that stays the same and you have to look for a change in tense so you don't miss it and get confused. Yeah. And they're quick too. And, and it relies on you to understand context as well. So for example, you, if you were saying, um, I had lunch today. Yes. I went out for lunch today. Um, you can't even speak it in English. <laughs> All right. uh, I went out for lunch this afternoon. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, you would say today I go to lunch is what you would say in sign language. And depending on when you were saying it, the person, the receiver would know what you were talking about. If you were talking about in the morning, right. they would know, oh, you're going out to lunch this afternoon. Or if you were talking to them that night. They would know, oh, well, you're saying you went to lunch already this afternoon. Yeah. Now you're going to, you already went. Right, right. It's all context as well. Yeah. Like you said earlier, you won't get confused if you're, if you're understanding what they're saying. Yeah. Um, I guess that makes total sense, doesn't it? It really does. It's, it's, it's smart. Yeah. Uh, we talked about using the space. Um, if you sign close to the body, it might have been something that happened, uh, recently or might happen soon. Mm-hmm. If you sign further out, Maybe it was something that happened a long time ago or might happen uh, way far in the future. Yeah. Again, super interesting and smart. And that kind of runs into the um, calendar that some synesthetes report around them all, all the time. I thought know? of that same thing. Didn't it make you think of that? Totally. I wonder if Strickland did that on purpose. He is an evil genius. <laughs> um, all right. So I think maybe we should take a message break and then get to the etiquette of sign language. Hey everyone, host Nora McInerney is back for season two of the Head Start. 
Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and AbbVie. In each episode, Nora has real conversations with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they take action to understand the disease. That's right. Recognizing how a migraine attack can change the course of your day, she unpacks each guest's journey and how they talk to their doctors to find the treatment plans that are right for them. Yep, along with headache specialist Dr. Christopher Ryan and other special guests, Nora speaks to these incredible people who've channeled their feelings of isolation in their chronic migraine journey into advocacy and art. Plus, there are also eight episodes of their first season available for you to binge. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start, embracing the journey as they learn a little bit more about life with chronic migraine. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, that means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 2512-928887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. All right. Chuck, we're going to talk about... Mr. Manners. Etiquette. Yes, there is etiquette, like with regular speaking language. Um, you need to wait for the speaker to finish signing, mm-hmm. and then they'll look at you and say, it's your turn to speak. Uh, if they look away, they're they're still talking or signing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know what you're saying. So don't take that as your cue to jump in there. In fact, that can be rude. They will actually give you the signal that it's it's time for you to respond, right? But um, if you watch two people who are signing with one another, kind of frantically, yeah, if they're like arguing, uh, yeah, the the that's one was a tactic in an argument using sign language. You don't wait until the person stops and points to you. You could just cut in, and what you're doing is interrupting them. Interesting. Yeah. Um, another thing that you that might happen if you are a receiver of sign language is the person signing might suddenly s- turn and start signing to somebody who isn't there. Right. So you're not supposed to take a couple steps over. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. They, they know where you're standing. Yeah. What they're saying is that they, they're basically saying like, um, and then I was talking to Todd. Right. And this is Todd all of a sudden. This is what I was saying to Todd. Right. Right. So they're not they're not addressing they're addressing you still, but they're talking about how what they said to Todd. Yeah, or what Todd said. If Todd said that he has a sore back, you would look at imaginary Todd and say, I don't know what you would say, probably back sore. Sure. Or sore back. But the 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 the, the proper etiquette there is to just keep watching their their facial expressions right. and gestures just like they are talking to you. Yeah. Um You don't just wander off. Right. <laughs> if you see uh if you have nothing to do with any of this and you just see two people signing on the street, um, they say, according to Dr. Bill Vickers, 
who owns a company, I'm sorry, he's president of a company that creates, uh, uh, sign language programs. He said it's not rude to walk between them. Um, if you just kind of just walk quickly between them and like it's no big deal. So there's that. Right. But you don't want to be like, oh, yeah. so sorry, <laughs> right. sorry, everybody. You see me? I'm about to walk through yeah, yeah. here. So you just go through. Yeah. Or I would say just go around if you can. That's Chuck's recommendation. Go around. You know, like I wouldn't walk between two people having a conversation either. Yeah. Uh, speaking conversation. Yeah. I absolutely had to. I thought that was a little rude too, but apparently yeah. deaf people are cool with it. All right. So good to know. So Chuck, um, we talked about American Sign Language and obviously that's far from the only sign language in the world. There's hundreds. But in the States, um, American Sign Language is the dominant sign language. Yeah. But there's other, um, types of sign languages that are also practiced enough to warrant mentioning here. Yeah. One is uh, signed exact English. Man, this sounds tough. It, it is because it's slow. One of the advantages of American Sign Language is that it gets rid of a lot of the crud. Yeah, yeah. So like you just say, give gift. Yeah. And by the direction you're moving, you get the point across that I give you a gift. Yeah. Um, it, it, all of these other things that you can do with the gesture, you're cutting out two, three, four words in a sentence. This whole thing Fan made me like feel that. like I waste a lot of words. We do, especially you know? in English. Yeah. English is a very strange, technically difficult language. Yeah. And American Sign Language gets rid of a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Or I should say, it doesn't get rid of it. It, it, it evolved without that stuff. Yeah, that's a better way to say it. Um, and signed exact English is like trying to literally get English across and all of its weird syntax and order and uh, am and be and is um, using sign language. So it's it, it can be very slow. Yeah, like um, in ASL, if you wanted to sign beautiful, that could mean pretty, beautiful, lovely uh, to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, but they get specific with uh, signed exact English. You would actually, if you wanted to say someone was pretty and not beautiful, you might sign the letter P. Mm-hmm. And then the sign, the ASL sign for beautiful. Right. Which I guess is, you know, if you're being set up on a date, you might want to get specific. You know? Right. You, like, is she you pretty? You said she was beautiful. <laughs> no, yeah. I said she was lovely. Man. What's the sign for good personality? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, it, and Strickland points out that uh, hearing teachers who interact with deaf children prefer uh, signed exact English to ASL because I guess just when you're at that stage in life, to match up with the English spoken language, they think that has some benefit. Well, yeah, there's a, um, uh, I guess, one way of looking at educating deaf children uh-huh. is this whole immersed education. Yeah. Um, where it's like you learn speech, yeah. reading, which lip reading. Yeah. Um, you learn uh, sign language. Yeah. You learn to speak. Um, you learn finger spelling. Right, you yeah. learn reading because that's another thing too. If you just are raised on American Sign Language, you're gonna have trouble reading English. Yeah, because you're gonna you're gonna say, "What is B? What right. is is? What are all these extra words? Yeah, what's with the syntax? It's not gonna make sense." So there is definitely a school of thought among educators that if you have a deaf kid, um, you they should learn everything. Yeah, including sign language, but also all the other stuff, so they can effectively communicate with non sign language. Non-signers. Right. Um, and that's supposed, as opposed to someone who loses their hearing later in life? No, I think that's opposed to people who think like, well, we're a deaf community and sign language is enough for us. We don't have oh, okay. to know how to speak. We, like, why doesn't, why don't hearing kids 
learn sign language? Yeah. Why is it on us that we have to learn all this extra stuff? Yeah. Why is there not a balance? Right. So I think that that's um, part. Of, I think those are two camps. I don't know if that's the whole thing, but gotcha. I think some people think you should learn everything, where other people are like, "My well, sign language is good enough." Right. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, there's one more we'll get to in a second. Um, called Pigeon Signed English. Uh, right after this message break. Hey everyone, host Nora McInerney is back for season two of The Head Start, Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and AbbVie. In each episode, Nora has real conversations with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they take action to understand the disease. That's right. Recognizing how a migraine attack can change the course of your day, she unpacks each guest's journey and how they talk to their doctors to find the treatment plans that are right for them. Yep. Along with headache specialist Dr. Christopher Ryan and other special guests, Nora speaks to these incredible people who've channeled their feelings of isolation in their chronic migraine journey into advocacy and art. Plus, there are also eight episodes of their first season available for you to binge. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start, embracing the journey as they learn a little bit more about life with chronic migraine. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, that means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 251292-8887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. All right, so pigeon signed English, which is what we were talking about, is the other uh, common uh, form of sign language in the United States. And I don't fully understand this one. Do you? Uh, it seems to be uh, the middle ground between signed uh, yeah. exact English and American sign language. So they try to follow English syntax, but they but don't have like B. Okay. So there wouldn't, so there wouldn't be like, um, like I give you a gift. Right. It might just be like, I give you gift. Okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, they, they do not require in pigeon sign English, um, prefixes and suffixes like they do in S E E. Uh, and they say it can be easier to learn than either one of the other two versions because it does match up with, uh, English syntax. Yeah, and if you uh, if you're one of those educators who thinks that kids should learn everything, yeah, um, you would be teaching C or uh, I imagine at least pigeon sign. Yeah, and they say you can speak out loud and sign at the same time easier because you're not going to get ahead or fall behind mm-hmm. uh, because it'll match up more. 
Yeah, makes sense. And then there's um, there was a push because, like we said, if you if you're uh, deaf and a uh, speaker of American Sign Language and you go to Great Britain, like you're going to have trouble communicating, just like a, an English speaker would have in France. Yeah, what's a garage <laughs> on our lift? So, so there was this push in the mid 20th century to create an international sign language. Yeah, that's what I thought everything was. Um, and the, the inner, yeah, I, I kind of did too. Yeah, I was very, uh, naive about all this. Yeah, same here. Um, the uh, American or international sign language was, it came out of the, um, the World Congress of the World Federation of the Deaf from 1951. They said, let's do this. And then 22 years later, they got around to doing it. Yeah. And they created something called uh, Gestuno. You should say it. <laughs> Gestuno? Yeah. Yeah. And it, that, it's an Italian word that means unified sign language, appropriately enough. Yeah. And I think uh, Strickland says it's very much like the spoken language, Esperanto. Yeah. It exists. Some people know it, but it is very far from an international language. Yeah. I looked a little more into it. I think they use it at international meetings. Because they kind of probably have to. Mm-hmm. And, um, they say it can be useful for, like, world travelers to pick up, I guess, just like you would visit another country to pick up some, uh, uh, phrases and things. Gotcha. To help you out. Yeah. But yeah, it sounds like it's far from, uh, codified. Right. Do you say codified or codified? Codified. You do? Cod. All right. Uh, and then there's babies speaking sign language. And I want to say, if you want to see a creepy picture of a baby, <laughs> Check out this uh, article on HowStuffWorks.com, How Sign Language Works. I missed that. On the last page, the baby sign language page is a picture of a baby signing, and it's staring right at the camera. <laughs> it looks way too young to like be thinking the things it's obviously thinking, murderous thoughts. He looks like he's doing karate to me. It, but look at his face, though. It's yeah, like sinister. It's a scary kid. Sinister. It's a great word. So um, that is uh, baby sign language. Well, yeah, there's Page. a school of thought that um, if you start your baby out before they can speak uh, English words or whatever words, mm-hmm. that you are going to get them ahead in life by signing things that they need, like teach them the sign for hungry or pee-pee or daddy or mommy. Right. And they say at about six months, kids can start picking this stuff up and learn like a dozens of words. Yeah, they can learn at a six months, but it might take a couple months before they start signing in return, but they're still absorbing it. Yeah. And um, like you said, they learn obvious words that have meaning to them in their life. Right. Um, but apparently, a lot of parents report that their kids, once they figure out what they're doing, that they're communicating, they want to learn more and more and more. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. And there was a little bit of concern when this was first introduced uh, that kids who were learning sign language would become deficient in speech. Right. And they did a study and they found, no, actually the exact opposite is true. Like kids who are learning sign language as babies, um, are, have better speech abilities and language abilities than their peers who didn't learn it. Interesting. That's at least one, one study found. But, um, these same researchers recommend that if you're teaching your kid sign language, um, which I didn't know it was a thing, but Yumi and I went to go visit a friend of hers. You didn't know it was a thing? And like they started signing to their baby, and I You're was like, like, what is going on? Is your kid deaf? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, and apparently it's a thing. I didn't realize yeah, it. I had, I had seen it before. But they're saying if you teach your kid, your hearing child, yeah. um, sign language, 
speak the word as well. So the kid comes to understand that right. speaking and signing are, they're saying the same thing. Okay. So there's Makes not, sense. there's not a reliance on just one or the other, I guess. Yeah. I'm glad to know that it does lead to better, uh, speech maybe later on because when I first saw people doing that, it was kind of like, I was one of those doubters. It's like, uh, yeah. come on, what are you doing? Really? Yeah. But now I get it. Yeah. It makes sense. Plus, it's kind of cool. Like, if your kid, if you can get your seven-month-old kid to sign things to you. Yeah. It's almost like the same thing, but on the opposite end of the timeline of getting messages from the grave, you know? <laughs> like, babies can't talk for a reason. Yeah, I yeah. Think they know stuff that they're not supposed to know, yeah. you know? So if your baby does the sign for Area 51, <laughs> you're in trouble. Right. Uh, I got one more little fun thing. I was talking about the guy in D.C., uh, Painter is his last name. He said that a lot of times they'll get hired because they have to get hired, you know, to under federal law, but there won't be anyone there that's hard of hearing. Right. But they still have to stand up there and sign. And he calls that, and the per- Terps apparently call that air guitar. <laughs> that's <laughs> that awesome. Pretty good. Yeah. Cool. So sign language. Yeah. If you um, have a friend who is deaf or hard of hearing and is sign language person, a signer, I guess, um, and you want to ask them how we did, if you go on to stuffyoushouldknow.com and go to the page for this episode, it will have a full transcript for it, too, so everybody can check it out. Um, and if you want to know more about this article, see the scary, scary baby. <laughs> um, you can type in sign language on howstuffworks.com and it will bring up Strickland's article. That's right. So there's two websites for you to go to, stuffyoushouldknow.com and howstuffworks.com. Boom. And since I said two websites, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this HIV. Um, hey, guys, I recently went to visit family in Louisiana for Christmas break from San Francisco, and during a conversation with a, quote, friend from high school, I mentioned the fact that I had recently started my medication for HIV-AIDS, and this, quote, friend, end quote, became visibly uncomfortable and clearly was looking for an excuse to leave. I received a text later where I was accused of endangering his life by not immediately disclosing my status, uh, with them giving examples of risky behavior like, what if I had drank after you? or some microscopic speck of your spit had gotten on my face. 2013. 14 now. And this is what's going on still. Have you seen Dallas Buyers Club yet? No. Can't wait. It's a good movie. Uh, It was a stark reminder, guys, of just how little people know still about how HIV works. Uh, Not only are neither of those things a possible vector of transmission, but modern medication can so effectively eradicate HIV from your blood and semen that you're practically not even contagious anymore reducing the risk by as much as 99.9%. Uh, I had end-age AIDS in May, and by August, my uh, viral load was undetectable, and my T-cell count was normal, uh, but there were complications with medication side effects such as liver damage. Um, there's so much information out there about HIV that people who don't have it are unaware of when it comes uh, to HIV. Ignorance can cause uh, positive people some serious pain when the uninformed make us feel like a biohazard. Yeah, I imagine. And it would be awesome if you guys could do an episode, How HIV Works. Uh, and that is Jesse in San Francisco. And he works with the uh, LGBT yes. community out there. Right. I can't remember where he works. But um, 
he was like, yeah, man, read this and do a podcast on HIV, and I think that's a great idea. I do, too. And we should get that together. Forthcoming. That's right. Thanks, Jesse. Uh, yeah. And to your friend. Boy. 2014. Get with it, dude. <laughs> I remember hearing something. I remember being a kid. Yeah. We were like the generation that was just sure. scared to death of AIDS and HIV. Yeah. Because we're the ones who were like, you know, on the schoolyard when this thing was, you know, becoming a thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember being afraid of that kind of thing. And then learning as I got a little older, like, you'd have to drink something like a gallon or two gallons of an HIV patient's um, saliva yeah. to possibly contract HIV through saliva or something like that. And you were like, I just drank a quart, so I'm good. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm good to go. Isn't that grody? And the whole toilet seat thing, remember that? Yeah, I remember that. It's just ridiculous. But I have one for you that's surprising. Oh, we'll do a podcast on it. Okay. Okay. Oh, man. Um, That's suspenseful. Okay, so look for an HIV podcast, too. Agreed. If you want to get in touch with Chuck or me, um, you can get in touch with us via Twitter. That's right. At SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. Send us an email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. And, as always, go check out our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. This episode of Stuff You Should Know is brought to you by Lynda.com. Lynda.com offers thousands of engaging, easy-to-follow video tutorials taught by industry experts to help you learn software, creative, and business skills. Membership starts at $25 a month and provides unlimited 24-7 access. Try Lynda.com free for seven days by visiting Lynda.com slash S-Y-S-K. Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold-pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater.